0: Hello, hello, everybody. I'm your host, Wiz of Ecom, and welcome to the Symposium podcast, where every week we bring the highest quality professionals in the industry to discuss topics around mental frameworks, high income skills, and business. This is a no-nonsense, action-oriented interview that will be an asset for you on your journey of building and scaling to $10,000 a month and beyond. And now, welcome to the Symposium hello hello everybody i hope you guys are all doing absolutely amazing welcome back to another episode of of the symposium by Utopia. As you guys can probably hear from my voice and see on the screen on Chase's side, we are very excited for today's call. For those who do not know, Chase Dimon, I call him Diamond, I'm so sorry for always making your last name sound wrong, but dude, it is a crazy ass last name. But we have Chase here who is one of my mentors, someone I look up to, a business partner of mine. I don't know how I've been studying this guy since 2018. It is absurd to see him. Just him and I shooting it up, chatting it up, and we're going to be on this call today asking some real powerful questions that the Utopians have given us so we can dive deep into his mind and hear his opinions on this situations as well, too. So I'm so stoked to have you here today. Chase, welcome.
1: It's stoked to be here. How are you?
0: I'm doing absolutely amazing, man. I'm excited because I have some crazy questions lined up, some regarding AI, some regarding starting an email marketing agency. Cause whenever you and I would host calls back in the day, dude, I don't know if you remember, but email marketing was not as saturated as what it is today, right? <laughs> but I see you're still absolutely crushing the space right now. People are still referring you. People are still talking about you guys. And I'm trying to understand from a, an agency perspective, how that is all making sense and how that, how all of that is actually working right now. So I wanted to ask you some questions related to email marketing agencies, related to AI, and related to actually converting more users via emails, if that's fu- if that's good
1: with you. Dude, let's do it, let's, let's rock and roll.
0: Beautiful. First things first, man, Let's let's cover the elephant in the room, right? Let's just go f- see what's going on here. What the hell is going on with the beginner space for email marketing right now? Do you think it's worth for a beginner to start an email marketing agency in 2023?
1: Yeah, look, I, I do. I'm, I'm very biased. Email's been super good to me. we run a great agency. Uh, you know, people have left my agency and started their own and done well. So I think email still is a great one. Um, it definitely is more saturated than it once was. That being said, there's so much opportunity, dude. Like there probably could be thousands and thousands of more agencies and there's still so much business to go around. You really don't need that much as a beginner or someone kind of building a small business. To build really a great lifestyle agency you know 10k 20k maybe 50k a month i don't think it's that hard i think it's very doable still today so i if i was to start again knowing what i know i would do it probably all over again
0: so you would always stick in the email side of things and if you were starting how would you because you, you said something clear a lifestyle agency that's something that um basically funds your entire lifestyle every single day. That's your bills. That's you going to restaurants That's you taking care of your family. And I think people have this misconception with an agency where if you're not going to build an agency to hundreds of thousands of dollars a month, it's not worth it. Uh, My agency, I don't want to scale anymore. I I don't care to scale it. It covers all my expenses. I'm buying real estate with it. And I think that's the best direction. So if you wanted to start an agency fresh from 2023, what would your process look like to take that to $25,000, $30,000 a month by the end of this year
1: yeah dude there's so many things i would do differently right now uh, agency wide we're probably in the ballpark of like 130 to 150 people working with you know north of 150 clients um the email sms team are probably 90 to 100 people 100 plus clients so it's really the biggest service offering at the, the business and what most people know us for um and i think like if you think about the landscape right now of what's happening like Facebook, or I guess now called Meta, is an absolute mess, right? Ads are always going off, you know, things are breaking, things are really expensive. I see like our paid team and they're really good, but it's really hard to have like strong retention because there's so many things out of your hands. With email, you really are in the driver's seat and you control your own destiny in a sense, if you have good clients. If your clients have traffic, if they have got good lists, if they've got good product, if they've got good fundamentals as a business... Email is probably the simplest thing to scale with them and retain. I mean, we're, we started this business in June of 2018. We still have clients to this day, you know, five plus years later, not every client has been with us for that long, but the, the, like kind of the longevity and like the LTV of a client of ours, like your clients are staying 12, 18, 24, 36 months. So it's really attractive. And to get to your question, um, you know, if I were to start the business today, yes, I would still do email but it would do it a little bit differently. So we're, for lack of a better word, bloated. You know, we have really expensive fixed costs and overhead. You know, somewhere in like the low to mid six figures a month, it's just for the team, right? And we have to make sure obviously that we're making more than that to have a good business. And there's like these stages of the business where in the beginning, when it's just you or you and a partner and you and a small team, you're making a lot of money because most of it's going to be profit because you're trading time for money. Uh, especially if you're like a consultant or a freelancer or just like a one or two person agency. As you go and as you hire, you have these ebbs and flows, your revenue is going to be greater over time, but your profitability is going to decrease every hire that you do, every hire that becomes better and better. So what I would do, right, is I would try to stay lean. I would really focus on working on high quality, long-term clients that are paying three grand, five grand, maybe seven grand a month, and maybe even leveraging things like AI, uh, you know, people over in the Philippines or India or wherever, Canada, there's like an arbitrage between Canada where, you know, the people, they look like Americans, they talk like Americans, they work on the same time zone, but there's like a 20 or 30% arbitrage just based off the USD to CAD the conversion that obviously might change, but I don't, I'm not here to talk about the economy and what that potential looks like, but there has been an arbitrage play. So I would look on finding the right clients, finding talent that's not just in the US, but really global and really focusing on having strong margins. Like if you could be keeping 30, 50, maybe 60%, again, easier said than done, that'd be great. Where the traditional agency is probably operating now in the ballpark of 10, 20, 30% margin. So you really need scale doing it the way that we're doing it to make a lot of money.
0: So are you guys working with contractors or do you guys keep uh full-time employees on your team? What what does that split look like for your guys agencies? Yes, yeah, so I think we
1: have 115 full-time employees and then we have okay. another 20 to 30 kind of consultants, contractors, part-time freelancers, whatever you want to call it. The 115 people, it's it's a mixture. They're all full-time, but in the US, they're all, you know, W2 standard 9 to 5 employees with people in Canada and the Philippines, otherwise, it's more of like a contract retainer basis. So the, the terminology and like the legality between countries is a little bit different, but we've got about 115 people that are full-time and about 20 to 30 something people that are uh, on a project basis, consulting basis, freelance basis, part-time, et cetera.
0: Wicked, wicked. And you said that um, as a beginner, you would want to attract the highest quality, most sustainable clients that already have a track record. And you want to work with those individuals as much as possible. And I understand why, because they retain with you the longest, right? They're not just some quick drop shipping store that's going to disappear in three months. And now you're going to be running around like a chicken with your head cut off looking for another client right? What, what is the ways that we can hold these clients and retain them for as long as possible is the question agency owners always have. So the question that I have for you right now is how would you in the email marketing space position yourself in a unique way to stand out and actually attract these um, high quality clients to your offer?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I think I mean, things like very differently. Like I think less about like the Al typical offers or like We think about like my offer, my agency, like it's really not special. There's like no money back guarantee. There's no this or that. It's just, we really lead with quality, the quality of the work. And I think there's a couple of things that like lead to retention. I think one, and then we can talk about acquisition, but I think like retention of clients leads to really setting the bar in the beginning and really setting the expectation and really having clear understanding of this is our goal as an agency or a service provider, as your external email team. And this is your goal as the client. And here's kind of where we overlap, right? Our goal is to do all designs, all the copy, all the segmentation, all the deliverability, et cetera. Your job is to get us the assets and be able to within three business days approve what we send to you when we need it, right? So really yeah. like spending a ton of time upfront, aligning on like yours, mine and ours for lack of a better word, and making sure that it's super clear. And oftentimes like in our sales process, in our sales cycle, We're literally doing a screen share of our notion account saying, Hey, you are this brand. So, you know, you're, you're uh, eight sleep, the mattress company. That's one of our clients. Um, This is what a day in a life. This is what a week in a life. This is what a quarter in a life looks like if we were to work with you as if you were them. So we plan out the calendar, you know, four to eight weeks out. We're actively building emails two to three weeks out between each you know, point in the process, copy, do design, do final approvals, et cetera you at max have three business days to respond to us. And if you don't, we're going to go ahead and send it, you know, as is, and you have to be okay with that. So we will literally walk them through the good, the bad and the ugly, you know, no kind of filter on just, this is the way it is. And you either are about it or you're not. And you kind of self-select or we show people and they're like, Hey, you know, we're not really that planned out. We can't really get you things, you know, four to eight weeks in advance. And it's like, okay well, they're going to unfortunately be a last minute Larry and just not going to work for us. So in terms of that, like it's less about having like a special offer and all these things that most people talk about, which I think maybe that's like great in the the beginning. Um, But I think like with where we're at now, it's more just like, are we a good fit uh, as business people? And are we a good fit emotionally? There's people that come in, not going to ever name names, but like, they're just going to be an absolute nightmare. It's like, sure, as much as we'd love your five, 10, 20, 30 K, whatever it is a month, it's just not worth it. There's just certain clients that aren't worth it. Um, so I think that hopefully that answers like the retention part. Should we talk about like the acquisition part? Was that part of the question? Yeah.
0: Before I jump into the acquisition, I, I just want to add something here because that, that what you had there for the, for the retention is actually a strong positioning as well. And it's, Business owners are so sophisticated in 2023, they can smell the BS from a mile away. If you're going to talk to me about some crazy unique mechanism of a way that you're going to make more money for people via your email strategy, business owners don't give a crap anymore. All they care about is, listen, I know email marketing. Many people also know email marketing. How can you put the most amount of money in my pockets in the most efficient manner? And it seems like you guys have an accountability wing on your guys program, where it's basically, if you guys aren't doing your side, the DTC brand, then the results are on you. That sounds like a you problem. We are here to consistently drive results. We are constantly pivoting. We're constantly improving and optimizing. All we care for is you to stay consistent with your homework. This is no BS. So your positioning is basically saying we don't have a positioning, but that is a position. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's like almost anti and in most agencies start as like the anti-agency, right? We are different than all the other agencies and we're, we're the anti-agency one, one analogy I wanted to give. So like when you think about startups and companies that have like this unlimited PTO, right? So if you're an employee, you understand what this means, unlimited paid time off. Right. And it's almost this interesting thing where like the anti thing happens where by giving unlimited time, people actually take no time. And where I'm going with that is. For all of our contracts, I would say 99% of our contracts, not all, I, we just closed one on a six month deal, but almost every contract we pitch is month to month with a 30 day is out. And it's interesting that actually has led to a lot of retention as well as people saying yes. So it's almost like quote unquote, like our offer. Again, I, I don't think about it in the traditional Alex for Mosey sense, nothing wrong with that. But I just think about it a little bit differently because we're a little bit further down the funnel and, and didn't do this for a while. It's like we're month to month with a 30 day out. Instead of walking into a three or six or nine month contract, it's really easy to say yes to our terms. And because we do good work and because every single month psychologically, we have to go above and beyond to keep you. We keep them for way longer than we probably would. If we were on a six or 12 month contract, you know, you're like, cool, I got six or 12 months. You kind of coast, right? So I think the mentality and the psych that we do with the month to month, 30 days out uh, as a business on our ends, it makes us every month over deliver. And as someone trying to come in as a potential client, it's like, cool, it, it, there really isn't a, a risk. I guess the risk is potentially, the, the minimum you have to work with us is you know two months, right? Because it's 30 days and then 30 day out. Um, so that's quote unquote, our, our offer, although it's not really anything special. It's almost kind of like the the anti-offer.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Utopia. The Utopia is a community of 4,500 active entrepreneurs that share insights around starting and scaling your own business to reach $10,000 a month and beyond. Whether you have been running your business for years or dreaming of starting one, our community of like-minded individuals will take your business to the next level. For more information, check out the link in the notes or visit theutopia.io. And now, back to the show. Beautiful. And then let's talk to acquisition play then, because I know you're killing it right now on LinkedIn, Yeah. right? And that's very impressive, right? Because that's something that I haven't mastered yet. I haven't even looked into, I haven't dabbled into it, but how are you attracting and acquiring the perfect lead from LinkedIn right now? Do you have a process? What does this roadmap kind of look like?
1: Yeah, I think my playbook on Twitter and LinkedIn are fairly similar. Like in, in platforms like those where there's organic reach when people engage and good content rewarded that's seen. There's like three things that you have to do to be good at Twitter and LinkedIn. One is good content, right? Like if you're not going to put in the time to make good content, you probably shouldn't make it right. You, you should, because obviously you want to build a muscle, but I'm just trying to make a strong point that like you have to be making good content and original content, right? Like the content needs to be yours. Don't just rip someone else off. I see a lot of people now starting to rip myself left and right. And it's just not hitting because they don't have the same experience and, and they didn't do it right. So I think like sharing even just your opinion and in your experience, whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced is way better than just repurposing someone else's that's at a different stage. I think that's a mistake people make. But uh, focus on good content, that's one. Two is a lot of people have a hard time with this, but you have to do lots of good content. And it takes doing lots of bad content to get to doing lots of good content, right? So it's quality, good content. Quantity, lots of good content. And obviously the more that you do potentially the quality comes down a little bit, but it needs to be good enough or better than others or better than most to stand out. And then the third one, which most people suck at and they don't spend time doing, which is arguably the most important, is distribution. It's like the whole saying, like if a tree fell in the woods and no one was there to see it, the tree falls. It's like, you're gonna post on social media and no one's seeing it, like, did you post? And of course, right, like that's an extreme example, but you did post, but you have to focus on distribution. So what does that mean? Getting other people to like, comment, repost, retweet, whatever it is on the platform that you're doing, getting friends, uh, people that you pay, coworkers, family, doesn't matter who, just get in the, pa- the process and the, the habit of you post, and then you send out your links to the people that you need to engage with it, and you engage back. Uh, go to folks like mine and, and Wiz's accounts and see who's engaging with our stuff, and go start engaging with those people within our comments, potentially. You know, don't link out, don't do things like that, or else you're going to get blocked, but, Uh, And strike up a dialogue, strike up a conversation, add value to the conversation, uh, and just engage with other people that are already engaging. And then over time, reach out to them saying, hey, so and so, I know we have a similar size following. Are you interested in helping each other grow? If yes, let's do this. If no, hey, no hard, no foul.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the it's basically the network effect at that point, because if you're just tweeting and posting content to a brick wall, it's getting nowhere, no matter how valuable and how powerful that content can be. So Dylan Ander, one of my my older clients said this as well, too. He's like, I'm no Twitter growth. Expert like Wiz of Econ, but I've been noticing some of my insightful comments to other tweets are getting more reach and engagement than my own tweets. Anyone else experience this? Yeah. Dylan Ander tweets that out. 20 minutes later, Nick for comes in and gives his opinion on it. Then I hop in, I give my opinion. And six, seven other people are doing that, and other people are joining in on the conversations, right? Yes. And I'm realizing more and more the importance of the personal touch for a personal brand. We're not talking about a brand here, we're talking about a personal brand. To attract people to you, you cannot use templated concepts over and over of here are six ways to make money online here are three email marketing tactics that you need to implement to improve your retention Like that's important two three tweets two three pieces of content on that on a daily basis but the rest people need to be able to connect with you and 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 this is something that i'm actually learning right now chase from um two of my coaches um i've like they're they're consulting me on political strategy to apply to my brand to build a stronger following and they told me there's different types of content there's authority. Authority content, which is basically um, uh, ways that we can show revenue or show traction so we can build trust. Then there's technical content. For example, eight subject lines you need to test out. And then after there, there's story-based. Story-based is what most people are lacking. What is story-based content? Story-based content is, Chase, you talked about your story of how you had to overcome uh, a health problem yeah. for, for years. And and people resonated because everyone goes through their own health journeys as well too. But they see you come out, come out on top. They see the journey of you and Shay, your daughter. They yeah. saw you from, from when your wife was pregnant to when she was born to now you have a second a, a baby as well too. And yeah. people connected with you on that personal level. But if if we're just producing content for the sake of the production of templated content, it's not doing anything for us. Facts.
1: Yeah, dude, do hundred percent. Right. hundred percent. And I think that's been key to LinkedIn too, right? Is like coming in with this strategy where I'm teaching, I'm sharing empathy. I'm sharing my story. It just makes you really human and kind of vulnerable. Um, and it makes it, you more approachable, right? Like I, I just crossed, uh, Uh, a few days ago, 200,000 followers on LinkedIn, right? Sheesh,
0: Uh, man, congratulations. Thank
1: thank you, thank you. And uh, people just still reach out. Like I was nervous at first to reach out, but you you just seem so approachable. I think that's important, right? Like if you're just come up as so smart and so much better than everyone else and just in a different league, you're not very approachable. Customers aren't going to really, well, maybe they trust you and love to work with you. They're not going to feel comfortable reaching out. A lot of times people will be like, hey, I don't know if we're a good fit for you. Not we might be too small. Maybe we're a good fit, but I wanted to run and buy you because it seemed like you weren't going to judge. So I think those emotions that you evoke through your content, through your storytelling, and just through being raw and human are so important. I think that's why like I get a lot of people reaching out saying like, I don't think you offer this, but do you know someone that does? And it's like, oh, we actually do offer that. I just never talk about that, right? So it's, it's a really interesting thing where just by being helpful, people want to ask you for things. And oftentimes, not always, but it leads to some kind of transaction, whether it's for you or someone that you care about. The amount of business I get to send in my network um that really makes me happy to be able to like pay it forward is really cool. Even though it's not for myself. It's I'm helping someone else help someone else, right? So it's it's yep. fun.
0: This conversation was supposed to be about email marketing. We're talking about scaling agencies, retention, acquisition, personal branding. Let's keep riding this wave. This is exceptional, but (laughs) that is hilarious. But uh, yeah, next question for you is, is within your agency, you're talking about retaining clients for 18, 24, 36 months. That is not industry standard, right? That means at scale, you guys are able to still bring in exceptional results. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but it's usually the law of demand. Diminishing marginal returns when you are scaling, the results start becoming more cookie cutter. We start losing these individuals, and and people don't feel like you have that personal connection with them anymore. But it seems that you guys have countered that. Can you walk us through some of the retention strategies and experience strategies that you guys are are uh, implementing for you guys' agencies right now?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think for one, like I invested a lot of time and effort into building uh, an email course, and initially the Like the thesis or like the goal behind the course uh, at first was to build it as like an internal training kind of resource. So we invest the time into creating content and standardization and and practices and technology and information that is available to the team that we have then make public, right? Um, So I think like education is one, like investing in the education of your team, understanding that different people are coming in at different points in, in their journey. Some people are very green, very junior. And some people are are super experienced, right? But making sure that everyone is on the same page and everyone has the same information that they've reviewed is super important. So it doesn't matter if you're an email marketing manager or a copywriter or a designer or account manager, you're going through a lot of the core same training of like email marketing. Because at the end of the day, we're doing email marketing. You're also obviously going through trainings for Figma if you're a designer or for copywriting. You're going through maybe some direct response stuff to understand you know those types of things. Maybe you're taking psychology courses. So I think like investing in education is something that is so important, yet a lot of people skimp on. They just hire and because they have an urgent, desperate need. Like as soon as you're hiring, it's often because you had something that you needed help for yesterday, not today or tomorrow. Um, so people are just so scattered-brained and so urgent and so rushed that they don't invest proper resources and time into learning. Um, they don't have good SOPs. So we've spent years and probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars on building out our SOPs. Uh, we actually even just hired an agency to come audit our SOPs because they're very, very good, but we're always looking to get better. So I think we have this attitude of like, we know we're good and we're confident, but there are so many things that we don't know. And the reason that we've got to where we are today is by being hungry and, and, and thirsty for knowledge and just being always open and understanding that there's going to be someone that knows something that we don't. And the quickest way to get access to that is to, to pay them and to get them involved. So. We leverage a lot of like third-party consultants um, and whatnot. And then I think communication, like we really instill in our team that like, if you don't know something or if you messed up or if you screwed up with something internally, externally, own it, learn from it, jot it down, reflect on it, right? So I think we've just created this environment where there's tons of learning. Um, And now like we've started to attract as we've gotten bigger and better and have more budget, we've really attracted like the top players. So we're now bringing in people that, you know, are just as good, if not better than us, the owners and the founders and the partners. And that's growth, right? When you bring in people and you're not intimidated, dude, it used to be so intimidating, right? It's like, I don't want to bring in anyone smarter or better than me. But now it's like, dude, if I'm not bringing in people smarter, better, like we're all getting dumber. So that's kind of like how.
0: How did you get over that objection of inside of your head of, of like, I can't if I hire someone who's better than me, what if they just take my idea? What if they take over the agency? What if they make a, a run a, a, a coup to kick you out or whatever? How did you overcome that mentality of being able to hire people and trusting people with your actual business standards?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's three things. I think one is the intangible. Um, and for me, the intangible is things like, Uh, relationships and personal brand, right? So I've been really focused on building strong relationships with team members, with partners, with vendors, with clients, with the the greater community. And that's, that's something that like, no one can take from me, right? Like I own those relationships, I own my channels, I own my newsletter. So I kind of was like, okay, someone could be smarter, but they don't have all these other things, right? So that's some layer of protection. Two is like, I don't want to be in the weeds forever. Like I don't want to be running an agency day to day for my whole life. I, the sooner I can get out, the better. Like, And my happiness and you know my relationships have improved as a result of like getting out of the grind. Dude, I was building this business much like you and much like most people listening every day, seven days a week, 12, 14, 16 hour days. It was necessary and it was cool then. But now that I have a family and I've got hobbies, and I got a bunch of things that I really care about. I just realized it wasn't feasible. So part of it was like, you know, the intangible that I mentioned, the other part was just like necessity. And then the last part was to like, the goal of what I want to do is I want people to come with us. I want people to build with us. I want people to build for us. And then I want to let them go free if they want to be free. If they weren't, you know, if they're not the best fit for us now, and they're better fit for their own thing or something else, let's do it. For example, uh, you mentioned right before this you were just talking to Mason, uh, Mason Dewar, Cardinal Mason. Uh he used to work at uh at a restaurant uh, during the pandemic. And then he reached out to me cold DM, cold email, can't remember what it was, asked for an opportunity to work for us. I said yes. He joined us early. Dude, he was amazing. The guy's a rock star, like he just needed a chance. He spent 18 months working with us, probably the best copywriter at our agency that we've had, period. And we've had probably 50 copywriters, or, or more at this point, we probably have 20 on staff as is. And then he got to the point where like, he just outgrew us. He was destined for more. But he was very respectful with how he did it. He and I are, are, had a good relationship. Then we've become even better friends since he reached out like, Chase, I don't know what to do. I'm not making enough money here. I'm working on a bunch of clients on the side. I think I have a really good opportunity to go do my own agency. Like, what are your thoughts? It's like, dude, you served a year and a half for us. You did great work. I really respect that you came to me like this. Like, Go do it. So, gave him our blessing, sent him some clients, and the guy's on an absolute tear. So, I just think there's going to be certain people that are a really good fit for a period of time. And for whatever reason, for better or for worse, they're going to move on. And you just have to be okay with that. I think it's a cycle of life, it's a cycle of business. So, I think once I understood that or all those things, it was just so much easier. Now that I've been doing it for so long, like, dude, I've been out of the day to day for years, and it's amazing. If I was still in the day to day, I would be a bottleneck. People would look at me as the guy that knew everything and had all the answers, which obviously I knew a lot of things and there, there's even more I didn't know. So I just didn't want to stunt our growth. I didn't want to be a bottleneck. I wanted people to have the opportunity and the smartest, best people, they don't want to have a ceiling. Like if I was there, they never would be able to grow, right? Cause it would always be the chase show. And now it's not the chase show. It's been the structured show for three years and its it's been really cool to see. I'm really proud of what we've done and really proud of the team.
0: Dude, that was beautiful. See, I thought this conversation was going to be very tactical and strategic, but it came down more to overcoming limiting beliefs and giving a holistic view of actually running an agency properly, right? Because these are objections that that utopians are going through, right? This is stuff that even I go through, yeah. right? And it's difficult to always know what to be working on next and doing next. Should I be scaling? Do I need to build this to hundreds of thousands of dollars? No, man. Like like Chase Diamond is the biggest advocate for running an agency on Twitter for the past few years as well too. He loves talking about agency, but what do we notice is Even you're not obsessed with running an agency. That's not your calling. That's not your passion, right? We all understand that agency is cash flow. It is a lifestyle funding business. We do this. We eat the shit. We deal with the clients. We deliver exceptional results. We master high-income skills so we can have cash flow to do what we love to do. You're playing pickleball now. You're running basketball. You're chilling with your family. You're building other businesses, investing in businesses. You're playing real-life Monopoly right now right and i think that's what and my friend zach williams he calls it optionality right you've reached this point where you have full options to do everything without being in a glorified nine to five that is the beautiful outcome of where you guys are all going to be very soon chase i want to thank you so much for today's conversation it was quick it's straightforward that's what the symposium is all about um utopians if you guys love the episode we're gonna link chase's twitter account linkedin and everything inside of the bio inside of the video over here but i want to say, God bless you, Chase. If you want to say anything else at the end, go for it.
1: No, Wiz, appreciate you having much love. And for everyone that made it this far, thank you guys. I know attention right now, there's a million things you guys could be doing. It's scarce. Uh, I really appreciate you guys spending the time listening to us. So thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found this conversation valuable, please leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and on YouTube. Focus on implementing the items discussed in today's episode because money loves speed. We will see you next week on the Symposium by Utopia.